Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Alan Pease. Alan is one of the world's top body language and communication experts. He's the author of 18 best-selling books, 10 of which have been number one bestsellers. His books have been translated into 54 languages. He's a world-renowned speaker. Alan and his wife, Barbara, are the founders of Pease International that makes television shows and books that specialize in human behavior. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure to be here, Chris. So could you tell me a little bit about your background, how you got interested in human behavior, body language, communication? Well, it's a very practical background. Back in the 1950s, my father was a life insurance salesman uh, in, the, in rural Australia. And when he'd go out during the week, he would take me off and with him after school because simply it's easier to get a presentation going when you've got a small kid with you than a guy going on his own because they're mostly women at home. And back in those days, they collected the premium. So after school three or four nights a week, I would sit around the negotiation table with my father watching him making sales presentations and prospecting for business. And so I learned at a very early age that, that you can anticipate, even predict, even cause people to respond a certain way by behaviour, by things you say. Because he would say to me things like, uh, when I say the price, tonight to this particular prospect, if they sit back, lean back, may do some sort of arm crossing, said the answer is going to be a no or an objection, but if they lean forward and pick up the piece of information, then I'll ask him to buy. So he taught me all this stuff as a young kid. So it made sense as a teenager that, that I'd have a job knocking on door selling. So my mid-teens, I was the king of pots and pans selling in Australia, banging on door, and, and I loved it. And I made more money than the school teachers, and I had lots of girlfriends, I found out, that you can have <laughs> some money. And so I made sense that then as a uh, as a 19-year-old, I joined the financial services life insurance business and broke a few records of that using all the things I'd learned from the time I was a kid. And uh, in the mid-70s, I wrote the book called Body Language, which effectively was a sales manual for people who had to go face-to-face to negotiate and sell, showed them what to look for and how to anticipate uh, what could be coming and how to make a good first impression. And so it's a very practical background, which turned into books, which became movies, became television shows, and and uh, just expanded from there to a level that I never could have anticipated, but it's been a hell of a good ride. Yeah, oh, no, it's awesome. And the things that you're talking about make so much sense. I told you prior to this interview, I never thought I was going to be doing the things that I'm doing now. And uh, I had had a, I had done sales for a few years right out of school. And I found that the things that you're talking about, there's, there were, there were only so many reactions that a person could potentially have. Right. So if I asked them to buy something, there are only so many things that they could do. And it just took a little while to get out of my head and pay attention. You start to recognize these things. And then you kind of, I could kind of predict what they might do. Um, and I think the same thing is true for the people who are listening to this because they want to get better at dating. Well, that's right. I mean, when you're face to face, the bottom line is you are selling. You're, if you're not selling a product or a service. You're selling yourself. You're saying to someone, Hey, buy me. And so you've got. You've got to be good at making the presentation and creating an atmosphere where uh, they're likely to give you a fair go at selling themselves because if people buy you, they'll buy whatever goes with you, whatever you want them to do or say, whether it's products or whether it's going on a date. Uh, if they don't buy you, there's some small thing about you that turns them off and usually it's got to do with non-verbal things and most of us don't know what those things are that we have. If they don't buy you, they're not going to buy anything that goes with you. And that, but it's reflected with a woman might say, Oh, he's a good-looking guy and got a good job and everything, but there's something about him and they can't articulate what it is. If you were to film that and play it back, you'd probably be able to spot something the guy was doing physically that was switching her off. Makes sense. So it kind of leads me into my next question. What are some of the things that uh, people do 
our mistakes or things that they could do different, uh, they should be doing different in order to develop a great first impression? Well, the first thing is to understand two things. Chris, first is that people form up to 90% of their impression about you in under four minutes. And most of that's formed in the first 10 seconds where we decide very quickly, rightly or wrongly, whether this person is going to be friendly or aggressive. So this is hardwired into the ancient brain of humans to do this for survival because if your ancestors couldn't very quickly determine whether somebody's going to be aggressive or friendly, then they'd get killed. That'd be the end of them. So we're hardwired to be able to do this without really consciously knowing how it's done. And within four minutes, we've decided whether we're going to give the person a yes or a no to whatever it is they're saying. So if you screw up that first four minutes, you're really going to struggle. Uh, so that's the first thing. Secondly, body language, that is things that don't involve words and sounds, account for 60 to 80% of the impact of all messages face-to-face. So in other words, somebody's pretty much made a decision about what you're like and whether they're going to give you a nod or give you the boot based on the way you appear and behave. So the good news of this is that in the first four minutes, you, you can practice things that are positive that allow you to make a good atmosphere where people are likely to be relaxed and you can work on eliminating things about yourself that may be negatives, and most of us don't know what our negatives are. Our friends know, because they see it all the time. <laughs> Personally don't know. Yeah. That's a great kind of segue. What are some positive and negatives that are common for people when they're making like the right and the wrong atmosphere for a first interaction? Well, when you're meeting people for the first time, uh, there are signals that are hardwired for us to send and to receive. You don't learn these at school. They're hardwired into the brain. We know that because uh, monkeys and chimps do a lot of these as well. So these are primate behaviours that signal acceptance, uh, non-threatening. And this is the important thing. If you present yourself as likeable and non-threatening, now non-threatening means that you don't look like you're going to attack them, give them a hard time, give them a punch in the nose. Uh, if you do that, it's possible to tell people to go to hell in such a way they're looking forward to the trip. <laughs> so the first thing that you need to do when you front up is a human smile. Now, my grandma taught me this when I was a kid. She said, son, if you smile, when I went for my first job interview at delivering newspapers at 4 o'clock in the morning, which you can't do that anymore, it's illegal because of all the benefits and et cetera, child labour, but I had a job at 4 o'clock in the morning delivering newspapers. When I fronted up, she said to me, now go, put a big smile on your face. And I can remember her hooking her fingers in the corner of my mouth and pulling my mouth back so that my mouth would open wide and she, she could see my teeth. She pushed my back so my chest was out and I stood straight. Now, she knew without MRI scanners, without any sort of brain technology, she knew that if I did those basic behaviours, there's a fairly good chance the person that I was trying to sell myself to would feel good about me and would say yes. So the first thing is, is smiling. Now, monkeys and chimps do this too. And when we study monkeys and chimps, it gives us some clues as to why it works so well for humans. There are two versions of smiling for primates. First is where the corners of the lips come back and they go up and you can see their teeth. Now, we're the only land animal that smiles that doesn't bite next. Did you know that? I don't know if my girlfriend might disagree, but yeah, okay. <laughs> no, yeah, no, okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> if, the dog, if the dog smiles at you, what's going to happen? You've had yeah, that's a warning signal because he's tacked teeth and the humans have a herbivore vegetarian teeth. So when we smile, it's not a threat signal. It's, it's in fact a submission signal. Well, there's two versions of it. First, so when I meet you for the first time, if I smile, bring my lips back and the corners of my eyes move up as well and you can see my teeth. I say, hi, Chris, how are you? Your ancient brain will decode. This guy is showing me what's called a play face. That is that I'm non-threatening. I'm like a little kid. I won't hurt you. I won't attack you. And uh, that's why it's such a critical thing to have that on your face. Now, a lot of men think they need to look pretty serious and look pretty impressive in management positions to see this. So when they meet people for the first time, they keep a very uh, almost what I call the Soviet face, like the Russians. There's no 
coming through. Now, in the dating scene, that's suicide because women on average smile four times more than men. We know that. And women smile four times more because of the fact they want to keep conveying that they are non-aggressive. That's its point. Now, as a man, if you don't show that you're potentially non-aggressive, she's likely to assume that you could be aggressive. So the more she smiles and the less you smile, she starts thinking, oh, he's a bit tough, he's a bit arrogant. And he might think, she's a loony. She's a loony. She's smiling too much. So first, smile with your teeth visible. Now, the second type of smiling is where the lips come back, but instead of the corners going up towards the eyes, they go straight back or down. And this is the fear face. And the primates do this when they're scared or frightened or unlikely to be aggressive or attacking. And I saw one of these last week at a funeral. Uh, this guy was being buried. One of his best friends who I knew was in the crowd. And a guy next to me said, look at that guy. What's he laughing about? He looked like he was smiling because the majority of men can't tell the difference between a fear face and a play face. And we found this with boys under the age of seven in the UK when I was living there that the majority of attacks to the face of kids under the age of seven by dogs is on boys, more than 90% is on boys. So clearly girls are decoding or seeing something that boys aren't. Now, okay, boys are bigger risk takers, we know that. They're more likely to want to go in and get mixed up with the dog. But the fact is when the dog bears his teeth, most young boys under seven see that as he wants a hug, he wants a cuddle. And so they get attacked as a result. So first thing you need to do as a male is to make sure that you practice in front of a mirror smiling when you meet women and letting their teeth be visible. If they can't see your teeth, they're going to get very sceptical. And, and don't assume, as most men and most of us do, most men decode when a woman smiles, she wants me. But in fact, that's not always true. It generally isn't. What she's showing is that I'm non-threatening, I won't intimidate you, I won't insult you, I won't give you a hard time. So you need to get further into that interaction before you can decide whether she wants you or not. But the initial smile uh, is most likely to be that she's showing that she's not aggressive. There's so many different things that come to my mind. Um, actually, I was having this exact issue last night. I was coaching a guy, and he's Asian, and he kind of has this Asian poker face that he'll, he'll use. And that's what one of, one of the guys who's actually one of my interns, that's the way he describes it. But part of the culture he's grown up in, he'll keep this kind of straight face all the time. And he's wondering why women aren't responding to him, and they're not responding because he is, he's not giving off any emotions from his face, and they don't know how to interpret it. That's, well, female brains are programmed to read emotional condition. That's why when it comes to body language, uh, women are two to three times better at reading people's emotions and making sense out of it than men are. And when it comes to detecting and catching lies, women are around three to four times better at catching lies face-to-face than men. So the message in there is pretty clear for men. If you're going to lie to a woman, uh, don't. But if you must do it, <laughs> do it on the phone. And don't do it face-to-face. You, you'll be dead in the water. <laughs> but you're right, with Asian culture and uh, Eastern countries in uh, Ukraine, Russia, Romania, you see that same completely stony face. And part of the reason for that is uh, going back last generation in most parts of China and certainly in Eastern countries like Russia, Ukraine, Romania, Bulgaria, uh, most boys were put into the army by age 17 or 18 and still are, in fact. And part of the deal in the army was that you were not to smile because to smile at all was to show to the enemy that you could be weak and also to show to your own people that you weren't serious about. So they would come out of the army with these poker faces. And when you look at Vladimir Putin, you see this poker face, which for Westerners looks pretty aggressive and scary. But to local Russians, he looks like a pretty capable, competent sort of a guy. It's interesting how culture affects, culture kind of conditions us and shifts the way that not only we communicate, but also the way that we perceive body language or some of these signals that people give off. Well, that's right. And the thing about dealing with women and men is that women are good at reading body signals and 
and men collect, comparatively speaking, we're not that good at it. Uh, we really don't know whether we're onto a good thing or not. In fact, uh, the routines and rituals of courtship in the first half resemble the same routines and rituals in aggression. And so that's why most guys are not sure whether they're going to get a punch in the eye or a kiss because <laughs> up until about 60% of the way through, it looks like the same thing. So if we have a choice, I will go for the kiss and we'll assume that's the case and we're going to hit in the, hit in the eye without realising what happened. <laughs> well, actually, there's two things I want to ask. First, I want to ask one more question about smiling. So I know that there is kind of like this fake smile that people will come off. And, and so they'll sit in the mirror and they'll be like, They'll try, they'll try to smile and it doesn't come off natural. Like there's some t- tension in the face that's just not in the right place. There's, you can see it's not organic. How does somebody develop what you would call a natural smile where it just, you, you radiate that energy that, yeah, I'm, I'm welcoming. Uh, I, I'm open. I'm not a threat. Um, as opposed to where guys or gals try to force a smile and it just, although they're smiling, it's just, it, those elements are just not there. Well, that's right. I mean, in the fake smile, and you see this in, uh, in presidents of royalty who lined up for their 40th photograph that day to get the, the right photo for the newspapers, and they've had to smile for the, for the 40th time, and uh, their faces just collapse from practising over and over. With a fake smile, uh, usually we'll bare our teeth, corners of the mouth come back, but they don't go up. They don't go up towards the eyes, and the eyes don't move. And so if you just pull the corners of the lips back and nothing else moves, that's when we decode, I think this person's a bit insincere is a word you might use, if we ask you to articulate what what you mean by that, you probably couldn't do it. But you said, oh, something about them. And, and, and if a woman's going to fake a smile, normally she'll bring the corners of the, of the mouth back and you can't see her teeth. Tight lip smile. And most guys we found uh, kind of instinctively get a feeling if she does the tight lip smile that he's not doing very well. All women can decode this immediately. So if a woman's with a guy and she thinks he's a bit of a jerk, he's a bit of a dropkick, this fella, and so she does the tight lip smile, all the women around her know that she doesn't like him. Yeah. I <laughs> they might think it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. That is interesting. So how about if somebody is trying to figure out how to read kind of read a situation because you you had said um okay uh, sometimes a, a man will see a woman smiling and he'll think oh she's being receptive and she's just not being threatening right she's communicating that she's not threatening not necessarily that she's ready to kind of take things in an intimate direction so what should he be looking for if she is interested in him in an intimate way or is the only way to figure that out deeper in the interaction well the first thing is, is with body signals is never to take one signal and say it's got a conclusive meaning because a body language is in fact now, now it's an organ, organized language and has words phrases and punctuation and in any language if you take just one word and try to say what does it mean there could be multiple meanings like the word dressing in the word in the english has at least 13 meanings depends how you use it, it can mean a food if you're in a restaurant it can mean putting on clothing it can mean window dressing and get a dressing down there's 13 different meanings so you've got to have words either side of dressing to know what it means so if i said after my shower, I was dressing, you know exactly what it was. Sitting at a food bar at a salad bar, past the dressing, you know I want some food. So you've got to do the same with body language. You take at least three things. We call it a cluster. So, for example, uh, if I look at you, which uh, right now the listeners can't see, but we're looking at each other on Skype. Uh, if you said to me, uh, what, what do you think about uh, what you just told me? And, and I rub my nose and say, Chris, that's a great idea. And just rub my nose as I just did. Good chance you'd get a feeling I wasn't telling the truth. Now, here's the danger. I might have had an itchy nose, uh, maybe hay fever, uh, maybe the flu's in town, who knows? So one scratch of the nose is not enough information for you to make a decision, even though we do know that if I do scratch my nose for any reason, 
your level of mistrust of me will go up dramatically. And you won't even know why. You'll just get a feeling, oh, this guy looks a bit suspicious. You won't even know why. So that means when you're dealing with a man or a woman, don't touch your face. Don't scratch it. <laughs> just don't do it at all. Now, a cluster would look like this. Uh, if I said to you, uh, I always listen to your program. Now I'm rubbing my ear with my finger, looking at the ground. Uh, the check's in the mail as I scratch my nose. <laughs> and uh, say nice to see you as I close my eyes and shake my head from side to side. Across my There's at least five signals that tell you in context, in a cluster, that I am lying through my teeth. So that's what you've got to look for, is at least three things. Don't take one thing. Now, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't even remember the original question. But it actually made, it made me think of um, kind of something else, and this is a mistake I see often, is, and it's along the same lines, uh, maybe you have some more insight, because it, it kind of begins to move in a different direction. I'll notice that guys will be talking to, they'll be talking to a girl and they'll be trying to think of things to say. They'll use lots of closed-end questions, right? And so when they're using lots of closed-end questions, the conversation has these like, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. So then they start looking away, trying to find things to like looking into their brain for things to, to talk about. And they end up breaking rapport. And then what will happen is the women will forget what they were talking about. Or you can, I could see this. They, feel like they're being rejected, which just kind of creates this negative smile where the conversation kind of dies. So can you talk a little bit about what's going on there? Well, there are two types of questions that you can ask, but you you've, you know, because you train people up with this. One is a closed question that you just mentioned where uh, the person gives a single word response or a short response like, do you like New York City? Yes. I uh, think you'll come and visit here again? Yes. Uh, weather's good, isn't it? No. Yeah. <laughs> so we start to sound like the FBI interrogating you. Now, an open-ended question, and uh, we did the first brain scan to show how open and closed-ended questions behave in the brain. When you're asking a closed-ended question, there's a limited amount, usually on the left side for the majority of people, the verbal side, that operates when you've asked a closed-ended question. When you ask an open-ended question, that is a question to which they cannot say yes or no or give a short answer, both brains activate in both men and women, particularly the right brain lights up, and they become emotionally involved. So, for example, uh, let's just try it with you now. So, uh, you're working in, in you've worked in radio in the past, Chris. Is that right? Uh, no, this is a new project for me. Yeah, is it good? Uh, yeah, it's good. You think you'll stick at it? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Okay, now it's starting to sound like the FBI giving you the That's one right. saver. Yeah. Closed-ended questions, as opposed to an open-ended question. And uh, you can practice these things. You only need about five of these, and you start by writing them down. The simplest one is, tell me about. If, if you're, When you open your mouth, if you say, tell me about, that gives you three words of time to think of a good question. So tell me about, how did you get started in this line of business, Chris? I Originally, I, this is not something I ever thought I would do. I was, I never thought I was going to college, actually. And I... When I was around 27, 28, I went back to college and I went to a community college and then I had to transfer and I was helping out my family. My dad had died in, in my early twenties. And so I was helping out the family for a while. And when I realized they didn't need my help anymore, I applied to transfer. The first school I applied to transfer to was Columbia. And then I was at Columbia, New York city. And, uh, I started doing it on the side because I needed money to pay for tuition. <laughs> so, I thought you were brain of firing right now. Yeah. Uh, and part of what's happening is you are talking about your number one subject. Yes. Which is yourself. 
Yeah. And this is the thing with uh, you ask a person an open-ended question about themselves, and the simplest question is whatever they do for a living or whatever they do with their life, you say, how did you get started in whatever that is? Now, as you were talking, now the viewers, your listeners can't see this, but you and I can see each other, so I'll describe it. Uh, you probably noticed I put my hand just below my chin, which you did earlier, and I just stroked it slowly as you talked, and I nodded my head in groups of three. Now, when you nod your head, you go, one, two, three, stop. One, two, three, stop. One, two. Now, no more than three. Three encourages a person to keep talking, give more information. Uh, more than three makes them shut up. So, for example, if I went one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> it tells you shut up. It's a non-verbal shut up. So one, two, three, stop. One, two, three. And also I made listening sounds, which the listeners would hear, such as, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm, yeah, tell, mm, uh Now, this is really important when you're talking with women on the phone. Women always complain that when they're talking to a guy on the phone, one of the things they always say is, uh, are you still there? <laughs> no noise. It's like the, as the guy had a heart attack and dropped dead on the other end of the line. So you've got to make listening sounds face-to-face and on the phone. Uh-huh, I see. Tell me more. Really? Is that right? Uh-huh. And then and what happened? And I did that with you. I nodded my head, put my hand on my chin. Now, the reason I put my hand below my, just below my lip on my chin and stroked it, what we found is that when somebody's doing that, as they're listening, the other person is encouraged to keep talking more and more and more. Now, I could have interrupted you a couple of times to say, oh, yeah, Columbia, I, I knew a guy who went to Columbia and here's what happened to him. Then it becomes about me. But to make you feel good, I forced myself, and this is as a man what you've got to do when any person, especially a woman, is talk, you've got to let them talk. You only make listening noises. Uh-huh, I see. And the three words that women love that will get you more dates, more fun than any other is... Tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> tell you more. <laughs> well, well, this is great because the other thing it allows a person to do is get out of their head and instead of thinking about what's going on, you're actively listening. The person feels engaged. And, and the if the conversation dies out, as you're listening, well, one, just listening sounds and nodding, that will keep you engaged in, in, in what they're saying. But the conversation on what we're going to talk about next will come from kind of that content, right? From the stories that they tell, from the things that they talk about, just by actively listening. You don't have to ten, have a list of 10 questions. And you, I mean, you could start maybe if you're really shy or don't have any social experience. As you said, writing some of these things out can be helpful. But what people who are doing this will find is when you get out into the real world and, and you're actively listening and you get people talking, then the conversations will just grow organically or evolve organically. That's right. Open-ended questions seeks information, and, and the person with their mouth closed is the one who is actually in charge of the of the conversation. The person who's talking is the person who's being led by the person who's got their mouth closed. Now, there is a difference between how, as a man, you would talk with a woman versus how, as a woman, you talk with a man. This is a, a brain difference. You, you want to talk about that? Yeah, actually, I, I wanted to ask you. I did want to ask you about that. What are some of the key differences in communication between men and women? Well, what brain scans show is that when a man's talking. Uh, his hearing is switched off. I'll back this up. When a male brain person is talking, because uh, around about one in five women, about 20% of women, have a brain that the operating system is more male in its behaviour than female. That is, she looks like a woman, but she has the ability to think more in terms of male structures, like she can reverse park her car and go into a multi-story car park. Uh, she can throw a piece of paper towards a, a trash bin and probably get it in there. It's an ancient hunting skill. Uh, whereas one in five men across the board, this is cross-cultural, we, we did this in 33 cultures, has a female operating system. doesn't mean the guy's gay. There's a greater chance that could be the case, but it means that he's a straight guy who has the ability to think more in female-type terms. 
And so he builds relationships with people very quickly, especially women. Women love him. Why? He talks. The guy talks. Yeah. <laughs> now, most guys think when they talk with a woman that they've got to be impressing him with a point. Now, as men, we want a point. Now, what's the point? Like when a woman's talking, guys are thinking, what's the point? Now, here's the point. There doesn't have to be a point. When a woman's talking, the two prime reasons she talks is not to make a point. The reason, number one reason women talk, stress relief. So if a woman is stressed out about something, her speaking functions and both sides of the brain will fire up. She starts to talk and talk. So if she's got a problem, she wants to talk about it, not just once, many times as necessary. So she'll talk with you, Chris, and if she doesn't get any satisfaction because you keep giving her solutions, which is what we do, well, why don't you try that? Why don't you do that? Why don't you say that? So then she rings her sister and tells her sister. Then she rings her mother and tells her mother. Then she tells her best friend. And guys say, why are you telling everybody this? I told you what to do. Yeah. And he can't get why he's sleeping alone on the couch at midnight that night. So <laughs> <laughs> the number one reason women speak is stress relief. Number two, the purpose of female speech. The second is bonding and rewarding. In other words, this is a good clue for all men. If she likes you, she loves you, she's buying what you're saying, she's likely to say yes to whatever you might suggest. She's feeling very warm towards you. One of the first signs is she starts to give you lots of words. She talks not necessarily in a related order either. Uh, this is what female brains can do. They can multi-track conversations. So this can even happen in a sentence where she'll start on the first point halfway through the sentence without warning, brings in a second point. Now, women listening realise that's the second point because they, they knew she was going to do it. They heard the change of tone of voice. Most men think it's still the first subject. So now you're sitting there thinking, I wonder what she's talking about. I don't know, but you don't want to say anything because you look like a goose. So you go along with it. Then she brings in a third point. At the end of it, women know what happened on three scores. But men, we have no idea what this woman's talking about. <laughs> so here's the message of women. You want, to press a, you want to press a guy, if you're a woman, you must give points and put gaps between the points. So you make a point, then you stop with a small gap so he knows that was one point. Then you make the second point and then stop. Because if you multi-track information as a woman, as men, we pretend we followed it because we don't want them to think we're stupid. We can't yeah. communicate. <laughs> we walk away. And we want to say, Chris, what was she talking about? You, you don't know either. You yeah. follow. Now, if you're a guy talking with a woman, here's the key. You must talk because female brain scans show when women are speaking, hearing is switched on. So in other words, female brain people, remember one in five guys qualifies under this, female brain people have the ability to speak and listen simultaneously on several unrelated subjects. And so if she likes you, she'll give you lots of words. I love you, Chris. Here's a few bucket calls for you, pal. And she starts loading up with all these words. That's a good sign. That's a, what we call a buying sign because the reverse is true. If a woman doesn't like you, doesn't love you, she's not happy with you, she wishes you'd go and do something else, one of the forms of punishment that women will give men they don't like, we identified the top five universal points. Uh, number three is she stops talking. Because words are so important for reward to give you if she likes you, to show she doesn't like you or to punish you, she will take the words away. I'll fix him. I won't talk for the next three days. Now, most women sincerely believe this is punishment. <laughs> as, as most men, look, men love silence. You know? <laughs> ramp up the talking and keep changing the subject. That's punishment. <laughs> so what's it was a guy, and on the phone, as I mentioned before, you've got to make listening sounds. You've got to talk. So as she's talking, nod your head and go, uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. tell me more. By encouraging her to tell you more, pretty soon you start to look attractive. And what we've shown with computer experiments, that the more you do this as a man, 
as each five-minute bracket goes past the woman, you begin to look more attractive. You physically look more attractive. I mean, you haven't changed, but she starts to see things about you that she likes because you are participating in the conversation, talking about her number one subject, which is her, and asking open-ended questions, and that's how you're doing it. It makes sense. One of the questions I had was, what are some things that guys can do to convey a romantic interest? Our, I mean, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's a pretty good uh, model right there of, or a list of kind of things that guys can do. Are there any other things that guys could do to kind of communicate romantic interest to a woman? You know, this is a really tough one because one of the things we found in, in uh, using cameras, I, I made a nine television series for BBC in the UK on uh, male and female behaviour. One of the ones we did was setting up in pubs and clubs, hidden cameras, to find out who makes the first approach uh, between men and women in a public space. And the interesting thing that came out of that is that 94% of all first approaches are made by women. Now, more than half the guys thought they made the approach. But what happened was the guy scans the room and uh, suddenly he sees a woman looking at him, so he locks eyes with her. So she starts sending him green light signals to give him the courage. You know, we, we lack courage when it comes to this. <laughs> That's true. So she gives him the courage to make the approach. Yeah. So he makes the approach. So he believes that he made the approach. In fact, well, physically he did, but she gave him the green light signal. Now, you can do one of two things. Chris, you can either learn green light signals, which is very useful, uh, or you're going to play the numbers game, which, like selling, works well. You know, as a friend of mine said the other day, 100 slaps in the face is worth one on the sack, he said. So yeah. <laughs> if you ask enough prospects to buy, someone on average is going to say yes. But that's a pretty tough way to go, and, and you've got to really lack sensitivity and emotions with women to be able to do that anyway. Uh, but, but I know friends of mine, I'm sure you know as well, they just keep asking women for dates, asking them to go and asking them to go home with them. And there are so many that... They have a really great love life with women because they're playing the numbers game. Yeah, no, we, we actually, it's funny because in our coaching, we talk about whole numbers. Like how many people did you actually approach? Like if you didn't approach anybody, then of course you're not going to have any results. Uh, but if you approach a hundred people, you are going to get a response, right? It's like a certain percentage of people are just going to be receptive. And then we talk about percentages. What are the, the green lights, as you said, what are the, the little, that little strategies, changes, things that you can look for that are going to give you a higher percentage, right? And that's, we have to do both. You, if you don't approach anybody, then of course, if you don't do anything, you don't talk to anybody, you don't approach anybody uh, in sales, if you've never asked for the sale, you're, you're never going to get any results. But people who are really good are aware of these details and that's why they just get much higher percentages. That's the funny thing about men, you know, one of the things that I encourage men to come to our seminars and you read our books to do is that is to get some sort of professional type counseling or coaching or read a book on how to do to learn how to find green signals and to learn to do exactly the things you're doing because as men we are not naturally adept at reading body signals compared to women women can look at a guy and send signals and he thinks it's all his idea as guys you know we're, we're more muted as doing that when i'll explain why in a second so as a result of that you, you can learn to look for green signals and, and i encourage guys to go to a coach but most guys when they think about a coach that they think about that they're a failure or they're no good, and so they don't go and do it. So as a result, they live on their own and don't do very well. But by learning really simple techniques and coaching and reading coaching books and courses like your own, uh, you can pick up skills that stay with you forever, and they can dramatically increase your love life. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, 
Listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. Can you talk a little bit about once somebody, a woman makes eye contact? Because this is actually a common uh, a common mistake I get when, when I'm talking to guys. I say, okay, what, what is a woman going to do if she wants to communicate eye contact? And they'll say, okay, she's going to make eye contact. And then I'll stare at them for, for 30 seconds. And they're like, well, that's weird. I'm like, that's because that's not what women do. Or then they say, well, they'll, she, she'll smile. So I'll smile for 30 seconds. And then they're like, okay, they'll tell me, well, that's creepy. Okay. Well, so that, that's not really what's happening. Maybe they will smile. Maybe they will hold eye contact, but there's other things going on and they're completely oblivious in most cases to what these things are. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what these, some of these other green lights are or um, some of the other behaviors that are associated with kind of eye contact or smiling or that first approach that a woman will make from across the room? I was just thinking, New York City, which is where you are, if you, if you smile for 30 seconds and, and stare for 30 seconds, you'd probably be put in jail. <laughs> 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 well, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things we found, again, using hidden cameras that show how, how people meet each other, is that a guy will scan a room and he's looking for somebody who's looking his way. That's, you know, we're looking for somebody who will acknowledge us, so that immediately puts us in a large lottery where we might be half a chance here. But one of the things we found that that women do, and if it, for women listening to this program, they need to understand this. And if you're a guy, you also need to know what she's doing and don't get disillusioned here. Here's what happens, and this is a universal thing. Indian women do it, the Chinese women do it, the African women do it, uh, hunter-gatherer women do it. They meet your gaze. They'll hold your gaze for two or three seconds, then they look away. Then they look back a second time, meet your gaze two or three seconds, then look away again, often with a smile if it's a plus. But here's what a guy sees. He scans the room. Oh, she's looking at me. She's looked away. No, she's not interested. Oh, she's looking back again. Oh, no, she's looking away, smiling. Definitely not interested. So he forgets it. What, in fact, he got then was a green light signal. And this is a universal way. That, and that we, I teach women uh, in, in our books that you mustn't do this with guys. You've got to hold the guy's eye contact for at least 10 seconds. It's a bit like getting a piece of wood that's four by two and hitting the guy in the head and saying, I like you. That's better than subtlety. And we say to women, it's lost on men. You want to meet a guy, you have to be very direct with him. Now, he probably won't know you're being direct. Uh, your girlfriends will say, oh, you're a bit of a tart. You know, you're making yourself, putting yourself out there like that because they know what's happening. But for men, you know, we don't notice it that that's happening. We just think, oh, she must like me. So with guys, you've got to be direct. Now, so what should you look for in a woman? Well, there are universal things that apply to most species of animals, including human beings, that when you like somebody, if somebody really tickles your ivories, 
uh, you'll go through what we call autonomic signals. Without thinking about it, your stomach will suck in. This is both men and women. Stomach goes, chest goes out. Women to display their, their, their wares and to men to show that they potentially they can catch a, a buffalo. Uh, shoulders <laughs> back and we stand taller. First three signals. These are autonomic. You don't have to think about these. In fact, if somebody really gets you, gra- grabs you by the by the shorts and you think, oh, I love them. The, the feeling you meet somebody just does it for you. If that's the case, if you've had a few late nights and you've got wrinkles around your eyes, cameras have shown that those wrinkles will pull back out of your eyes. So your brain tries to make you look younger and more attractive when somebody really motivates you. So standing, she'll stand up straight, put her chest out, stuck her, stuck her stomach in, and she'll have her body open. There's no crossing of arms and legs. Now, for men, it's pretty much the same thing. Now, so how? what should we look at with her? That's the question, right? Yeah. Okay. First thing, look at her feet. Now, there's two of them there. That's probably a good start. <laughs> now, when we really like the person we're with, we find them interesting and attractive. Uh, we turn our hips. We orient our hips towards them, which gives the illusion that your front foot is pointing at that person. So if you get a group of people standing together, you look at the feet, you'll find that the women will be pointing their foot towards the most interesting guy in the group. So now remember, we don't take one signal. Maybe she's got a sore knee from skiing last weekend. So, <laughs> We've got to have at least three a cluster. So right. we start with foot. One foot's good signs. Pointing towards me. Second, you look up her body, and now if a woman really likes you and finds you attractive, when she's standing, she'll do what's called a hip tilt. She'll actually tilt her hip. Now, the reason she does that is basic evolutionary biology dictates this. Male brains, male human brains, are programmed to look for a 70% hips-to-waist ratio on a woman. In other words, her, her hips are 70% Sorry, her waist is 70% the size of her hips. Now, the reason that 70% hips-to-waist ratio, which has been called the hourglass figure for a long time. Now, this is good news for women who carry a few extra kilos too. It doesn't matter how if you're bigger. As long as you have that ratio, men, men will respond to it very strongly because that ratio has been shown to have the highest fertility. So you've got the greatest chance of conceiving having babies with a 70% hips-to-waist ratio. Now, the greater the ratio, so if she's 100%, she's straight up and down, uh, chance of conceiving and carrying your DNA in, in very basic terms uh, have been reduced. If she's like a catwalk model, for example, uh, 92% of all watchers of catwalk models are other women, not men. Men watch Miss America, Miss Universe, because that's full of 70% hips to waist ratio. Playboy. <laughs> that's right. So yeah. if a woman really likes you, she'll stand on one hip, which accentuates the ratio between her hips and her waist. That's why she does that. Consciously, she doesn't know she's doing that. She just feels right. So she was, I just sort of kind of feel right when I talk to Chris. Now next is she'll have one of both hands on her wrists, on her hips, usually with the wrist bent back, not with the wrist actually holding, but the wrist bent back. It's almost like um, many bird species do this. They, the females will feign a broken wing to get males' attention. So this is a submission signal. Now I've got to tell you, some of these things I'm talking about here, the feminists hate to hear this. But it's, yeah, it's biology. Yeah, well, I'm talking about evolutionary biology and how things work. It's not politically correct, but this is what actually happens. So one, one or two hands on the hip. So starting from the start, her foot's pointing towards you, Chris. She's tilted her hip. She's got one hand on the hip to make herself look bigger, more noticeable, more impressive. We start to preen ourselves when we see somebody we like. So without even thinking about it, our brain starts to rearrange our clothing, our hair. Just We're saying, I want to look as good as I can. And hair, hair touching is one of the first things that you'll see with men and women, with men it's normally just fleeting, just a slight touch. With women it can be playing with the hair, flicking it, twirling it, uh, or she might even produce a hairbrush and start brushing it in front of you slowly. Next, you'll tilt her head to one side. Women will tilt their head at a slight angle, 15 degrees, at men they find very attractive. 
Now, the reason for that is interesting. By revealing the fleshy side of the neck, particularly the side that the main artery is on, that's a submission signal. And it's used by other animal species as well, mostly mammals. So what she's saying is, I could be dominated. What she's saying, if you play your cards right, you could maybe have me. So foot your way, hand on hip, hip tilt, stomach in, chest out, shoulders back, uh, flicking slowly the hair, neck exposed, head slightly to the side. When you listen to a woman as a man, tilt your head. Don't stand up straight, tilt your head. When you tilt your head, she keeps talking and she thinks this guy really likes what I'm saying. If she thinks that you like what you're saying, she's going to give you more plus credits. And uh, you look at her face. What do you got on her face? Well, the, the, the $3 trillion makeup cosmetic industry is to recreate attraction signals in the face of women to artificially show a guy that she possibly could be available. So if she likes a guy, the lips become redder and they, they fill with blood. Now, monkeys and chimps don't have lips. Did you know that? I didn't, human. No, I didn't know that. No, they don't have them. They're inside their mouth. Wow, they oh, yeah. But to invert their lips to be able to kiss. Yeah. Now, humans have evolved lips on the outside, particularly women, uh, as, a, as, a, as a social sexual signaling system. And if she really, if you really are pumping up her arteries, the, the lips will get redder. And the purpose of bright red lipstick is to artificially show that she, you want you. That's its purpose, created by the Egyptians about 4,000 years ago. Secondly, she'll start to get flushing below the eyes in the cheeks. The cheeks will fill with blood if you're really doing it for her. The purpose of rouge is to recreate that appearance. Now, pupils will dilate. On blue eyes, you can see this happen. Look at a woman's eyes. If she likes what she sees, you can see the pupil getting bigger. It gets wider to take in more light from you. If she doesn't like you, the pupils get smaller. On Scandinavian eyes, you can see it. On, on Asian eyes, you can't see it. They look like they're always excited because yeah. it's all <laughs> But if you go to Scandinavia or anybody's from that region with the really bright blue eyes, you can see dilation and pupil constriction taking place, which... It's dangerous for them in negotiation because if someone says a good price and their pupils dilate, a perceptive person will know that that's what they'll pay. Well, that's the purpose of eye makeup mascara is to make the eye display appear larger so she looks like she likes you. 72% of men prefer long hair than short hair on a woman. And the reason for that, again, back to evolutionary biology, long hair shows the last two years of health. It shows what a general state of health is. With short hair, you can't tell. So as men, we are looking for... What is this woman's ability to reproduce my DNA? That's the base level. And so we're programmed to look for those signals. And if she's keen on you, she will start displaying those signals, usually without awareness. Now, a woman who is aware of it will do it on purpose. And her friends will say, oh, you're a tart. No, I mean, that makes so much sense. And it's funny because I know that a lot of the guys who are listening to this, on some level, they become embarrassed that they are attracted to these things. And... Uh, especially when they get around kind of feminists and feminists start kind of giving them a hard time, but it's just basic biology. And even some of the behavioral stuff, I mean, it's something that they don't need to be embarrassed uh, embarrassed about, something that they're naturally attracted to, it's just basic biology. But even the things that you're saying about breaking the eye contact down, essentially what she's communicating is one, that she's nervous, and two, that she's submissive, right? And so guys will take that as a rejection. And in reality, she's looking down, she's feeling nervous. She's like, oh, I'm attracted to this guy. Uh, and she's communicating that she's submissive, right? And uh, we see the, the break of eye contact down as a ritualized form of submission uh, or submissiveness in all kinds of different different cultures. You bow before the king, you bow for, like it's a formalized like, or ritualized behavior that people do when they're nervous around somebody. And so um, I think that's a really important point. You're right on the submission thing because, see, for a woman to be attractive to a man on a base level, she needs to be able to show that she could be dominated. 
And, and so if a woman finds a guy really attractive, she will start showing signals. And part of that is because on a base level, she knows that this works on guys, that if, if he thinks I can be had, I can be dominated, then he'll be interested in me. Uh, and, and you're right also that, that a lot of men will look at that and think, oh, she's not interested in me because she won't look at me. And uh, that's, that's, again, one of the reasons of, of doing some sort of coaching or training is that you learn how to do these things. And once you know how to do these things as a guy, you see them all the time and your love life dramatically increased just by knowing what to look for and what, what the avoidance signals are. You, you said something else that I, I would love to explore a little bit. You're talking about how when she'll tilt her head a little bit to the side and that you should do the same thing in order to get her to keep talking. Is, and essentially it's a, a like a form of building rapport, right? This matching or mirroring. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know a lot of listeners have no clue what that means or how, how do you how do you use rapport, how do you use body language in order to make somebody feel comfortable or allow someone to feel comfortable? Well, well, body language, which makes up 60 to 80% of the impact of all face-to-face encounters, so most of the impact we're making is the way we look, appear, and behave. What we say doesn't account for that much. The tone of voice is three times more more powerful in terms of its impact than the words, which means if you're a politician, you can tell people to go and drop dead. And, and as I said, they're looking forward to the trip. If you do it the right <laughs> way, you can deliver it. Right. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> I've got to stop laughing. It makes me forget what the hell I'm talking about here. <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> so no, we're talking about rapport. So when mirroring, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, because it's out with reflections of emotions, that when you're hanging out with your friends and people you like and admire and respect, you know, people that you feel comfortable with, as you describe it, if you have a look at those people in that group that you're talking with, you'll notice that you're sitting the same way, moving the same way, using the same gestures, using the same expressions using the same words, in fact, and women are dynamic at this. And this becomes a strategy for warming people up, both men and women, very quickly. If you want someone to feel comfortable, you copy their basic behaviour. Now, when it comes to courtship, you don't want to be standing there with your foot forward with, your, with a hip tilt, yeah. uh, brushing your hair like in front of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> you might think this guy's got a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so by, by intentionally mirroring most people, there's copying their gestures, movements, expressions as they talk, they get a feeling very quickly there's something about you they like. They don't know what it is, but they kind of feel comfortable is how they say it. And what they're doing is they're, they're seeing their own emotions reflected in you. So you're feeling the same way about the same things, so therefore they're feeling comfortable with you. So as a strategy, certainly in business we teach uh, men and women, by mirroring the base signals as you talk, uh, you create rapport very quickly. And women are very dynamic at doing this with other women. And we found that in a female work environment, uh, where it's mostly women, if you put a new employee, female employee into that environment, it takes you less than 48 hours to have learnt and copied the gestures and behaviours of body language of all those other women. So now she's behaving, moving like them. Her tone of voice now is matching theirs. In fact, this mirroring is so powerful for human beings that within 60 days, that new woman in that environment has matched her menstrual cycle to the other women. They all get BMT the same week. Now, this is the most guys have never considered. If you're working in a strong female environment, one week of the month, you're in trouble, boy. You're better off to be out on the road doing something else. Because <laughs> they're going to give you a hard time. Now, my office here in Australia, I'm in the communications business. Uh, my office is all women. I, I am, other than one computer guy, I am the only guy here. And he works remotely away from the other women. And so I've got an office of six women and, and Barbara and female housekeeper. So I'm surrounded by women. And they are all in sync. On the first of every month, I know I'm better off to be out with my friends or leave town or catch a plane because I will not be right that week. I cannot get a right decision that week. 
And it was last week. <laughs> I, said, I said to one of my PAs, I'm showing her a PowerPoint presentation for a seminar, which she'd put together for me. And I, I said, look, we can move these slides around and change this around. And I'm showing it. And, and she started to get tears in her eyes. And I thought, hell, what have I done? And she said, don't you like my work? And, and, and I was just slide, moving the slides. I said, no, no, it's okay. And it worked better this way. She said, I put a lot of time into this. And I thought, there's something deeper here than I can meet. And so I said to one of my other PAs, what's wrong? What's wrong with Susan? And she said, don't pick on anybody this week. Do not pick on any of us. <laughs> Hell, I'm out of here. So I got a plan. I went to Melbourne and, <laughs> and I had the best time. <laughs> so, so mirroring is so powerful that, that we, can, we physically, when we physically mirror, women are so strong at this that they mirror other women in all aspects. And uh, that's one of the first strategies is as you're talking, we're using, whatever hand signals you're using, you can use similar. Now, if she's really demonstrative and waving her arms around the air, and you don't do that, you don't want to copy that because it might look like a bit of a dunce. But, but whatever the base movements and gestures that she's using, copy it because if you're with people you like and admire and respect your friends, that's what you do anyway. You do mirror them. And we make a point of not mirroring people that we don't like. So if you get into an elevator in New York City, you don't mirror people because that can be seen as being a bit intimate. Yeah, makes sense. Can you talk a little about how this applies to voice? Because I know I've had people, there, there was a girl growing up and we used to play a lot. And when she was about, uh, I'm going to guess we were maybe about, we were about eight. She moved to the South and then she came back and suddenly she had an accent. Right. And so can you talk a little about how rapport is affect, affects the way that we talk? Well, this is what you do see with accents. And when, when women move to other parts of the country, or even if they go abroad overseas to another country, they will pick up an accent uh, faster than most men will because women, are, their brains are instinctively mirroring and matching people around. The purpose of mirroring and matching is to create rapport. It makes people feel comfortable. Uh, one of the interesting things about voice that's uh, it's important to, to listen for if you're a man or a woman, but we're talking mostly men here, is that if you're around a woman who really likes you, she thinks, wow, I really like Chris. She's sort of doing it for me here. One of the first things that will happen is she will want to highlight femininity. So to make herself more attractive, she'll want to highlight her femininity. And so she'll suck her stomach in, chest out, one hip, foot your way, tilting the head, brushing the, brushing the hair back, flicking the hair, all the printing signals. They're the visible things. But also if you listen to her voice, she'll start to raise her voice and talk in a higher-pitched voice, what we call a schoolgirl school voice. So... She's talking with her friends like this, and they're talking about this, and then you come like, oh, hello, Chris, how are you? <laughs> start talking in this high-pitched voice. Because a high-pitched voice is directly related to female hormone levels, estrogen especially. Higher estrogen, the higher pitch you'll get in the voice. Now, the opposite is true for men. Men have longer and thicker vocal cords. The higher your testosterone, which coats the vocal cords, the deeper your voice goes. So men with really deep voices are displaying, without even being aware of it, high testosterone. We know that bass singers, for example, have twice the amount of orgasms than tenors when it comes to really? men. The guy with the high, yeah, twice. Huh. So the guy with really deep voice, he's really going for it. Now, if you meet a woman you really like, one of the first things you're likely to do is start talking in a deeper voice. So you meet her and you're talking like this, and you say, so how long have you been in New York? Yeah, slow things down and talk, yeah. Yeah, like James Bond. Hello there. How are you today? And we're saying, <laughs> I love a guy with a deep voice. What she's saying is, I love a guy that is displaying high masculinity, which is testosterone. Yeah. yeah. So if you, meet, if you meet a woman, you want to impress her, say, Hi, how are you? <laughs> Doesn't work. But if she does the same thing for you, you think, Oh, wow, high feminine. She's showing me high feminine. Maybe she could be dominated. 
So you were likely to instinctively start talking in a deeper voice. So how long have you been in New York City? And Mae West from the 1940s was a, a, a you remember Mae West, she was a, a, an actress, very famous, who talked and come up and see me sometime. And she used male testosterone thinking. And uh, she was a bit of a rager. The history books show that she was a rager, high testosterone gal. But what women will do is highlight their femininity, where as men, we try to highlight our masculinity. And dropping our voice is one of the ways to do it. So you want to make a woman feel more sensual. Talking slower in a deeper voice works. And a lot of guys instinctively know that, but a lot don't. They just keep talking. But if you practice talking in a deeper voice and slower, think of James Bond. That's how he does it. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And you hear this a lot on the phone. You start dating a new woman or you're talking to a woman and, and, and a guy's trying to build kind of that attraction. Women are very aware of this and men will become aware uh, of themselves doing this. They'll slow things down and do exactly what you say. They'll, they'll deepen their voice, slow things down. Also before, I see this a lot right before a guy kisses a girl. So he's in closer proximity to her. He'll often start slowing things down, talking a deeper voice. And when he's talking a deeper voice, often he's just speaking on his breath from a lower place in his diaphragm. Well, that's right. Well, as I said, the purpose of deeper voice is to show higher testosterone, which is equals higher masculinity, which is more appealing to most women because we found that even women who describe themselves as feminists still prefer a man with a deeper voice. For sure. That makes absolute sense. Can you talk about what it means when a guy's out on a date and he finds that the woman is mirroring him? And there's this, like, two things that come to my mind. One is, this is not a date, but I remember watching Bill Clinton on The View. And there's this like photo of him on the view and every, he has his legs crossed and there's like five or six women on stage. Every single one of them is facing him, mirroring his body language exactly. Right. Can, <laughs> can you talk, can, can you talk about what that means? Or even on a date, if, if a guy's sitting next to a girl and he kind of slouches down a little bit and he notices that she slouches down a second or two after, what, what does this mirroring mean when a woman does it? Well, you're right. Bill Clinton's in one of the 3% of people that we say has, <laughs> has the charisma gene. I mean, it's not a gene, but about 3% of men have what would effectively be a charisma gene. It means when they enter the room that women just want to throw themselves. I've been in the same room as Bill Clinton. I've seen this happen. <laughs> both men and women, they just feel like they're the only person in the world to that guy. And uh, But 3% of men are born with this, it would seem. But 97% of us, we can learn to dramatically improve our ability to do this. So uh, that scene you mentioned with Bill Clinton, yeah, that's, that's pretty typical. If, one of the things that will happen with couples that are getting on really well, and in fact, you go to a restaurant and just observe couples. So I'm thinking of one I saw at a, at a Starbucks the other day. Uh, I went down there with a TV show and we were just filming people from the distance to work out what is their relationship. And when you think about it, you can work out what's going on, who's making the plays, who's bombing out and who's scoring. Now, there was one couple there that were sitting together had a cup of coffee in front of themselves, and they both had, they both ordered the same salad, same salad, same coffee, sitting the same way. So this is probably a new relationship. The first three to nine months, uh, that's technically called the bonkerama. That period, that's where <laughs> it's all run by hormones and not a lot of rational decisions being made. So we call it down here in Australia. Frontal <laughs> lobe shut down, and the back part of the brain takes over. But they were sitting the same way, moving the same way. It's a bit like. <laughs> Some of the signals we do in Australia is we say if a man pulls up in a car and he runs around and opens the door for a woman, it means one of two things, either new car or new woman. <laughs> <laughs> These two are sitting there with the same coffee, with the same salad, and they were drinking in sync. 
Like he'd up and he'd start to take a sip. She'd pick up and take a sip. He'd put it down, she'd put it down. Uh, he'd put his left hand on the table, she'd put her left hand on. Now, the interesting thing about mirroring, Chris, is to look for who is initiating the mirroring and who's copying. Because the person who's copying is, is trying to make the play for the person who's initiating. So if you find that you're making it, maybe you're sitting back at the seat, or maybe you just scratch your face or touch your hair, and she copies, that gives you the okay to ask what's called a closing question. The closing question is where you say, would you like to go and do something that maybe takes the relationship to a more intimate level, now, whatever that may be, whether it's a movie or jump in the sack or whatever that you've got in mind at that time. And, and that's how good salesmen we've, we found know when to ask a closing. And you can learn all the closing questions. Now, should it be Monday or Friday? Would you rather pay by, uh, by credit card or American Express? Would you rather do this or that? Would you write black? Would you like white? These are closing questions. And good salesmen know how to ask a closing question. But what we discovered in, in the last 20 years is that the good salesmen, 70% um, of salesmen now in the world are women. Did you know that? 70% of salesmen are I, I believe it. <laughs> 30 years ago, it was all men. Now it's, it's mainly dominated by women because it's about communication now as opposed to sales. But good salespeople are reading signals that give them the green light to know to ask the closing question. Now, I was watching this couple the other day, and they also had a glass of red wine. And this couple were so into each other. Here's what happened. that He picked up his red wine and took a, a sip, put it down. She picked up her napkin and, and wiped her lips. She wasn't drinking. He took the sip, she, left, she did the wiping of her lips. So it was almost like one person in a complete report. Now, the assumption I made out of that was that this couple were in the early stages of new love, a high rapport, um, and so after we film them, we go and ask them. We go and ask them, well, what's the score here? What's the yeah. relationship? <laughs> and, and, and it turned out with this particular couple uh, that this was the boss's wife, and uh, this is the two I see having dinner with the boss's wife, so we had uncovered something that uh, clearly was a little bit untoward. <laughs> we did it. We put that, we, that was going on the TV. We're going to blank out their faces so you can't see who it is. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's funny. So I, I see had the boss's wife out there making a play for her and she was going for it. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it also makes a lot of sense. People will argue about the ethical components of it, but the reality is people are attracted to things that they perceive as being valuable, whether it's physical or emotional or status. Um, and so it would make sense that they're seeking each other's, like essentially when you're seeing this mirror and it's seeking rapport, right? Look, you know, one of the things, I've, I've written three bestsellers on this, you know, the, the Why Men Don't Some Women Can't Read Maps book was certainly a politically incorrect book. It was based on evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology about how we make the decisions we make. And that when you look at what, what do women want out of a man and what does a man want out of a woman, uh, it definitely is politically incorrect because in society today, particularly Western European society, it's very fashionable to go around pretending to each other that men and women think the same way, want the same things. But as, as I know, and you know, because you teach this stuff, that's just not true. Uh, that's because people have, have confused difference with equality. Now, equality means for the same background, skills, education, uh, you can do anything you want, regardless of your beliefs, your ethnic background, your religion, country, so you can do anything. That's equality. But difference, which is a science question, that is how we think and feel as men, uh, means that we don't want to do the same things as men and women. We have different values. Now, when it comes to evaluating a man as a potential partner, you know what women are looking for? In a word, resources. That is, and I've looked for this for a million years, the guy's ability to provide food, protection, and shelter. Now, in the 21st century here, most women now, they provide their own food, shelter, and protection. You know, more than half. They don't need a guy to provide this. And, uh, but what we found also, but they still want a guy who can do this. 
And, and I, one of the things I found, in, I wrote a book on sex and love, why men want sex, women need love. And one of the things that uh, I did in there, I, I studied 150 high-profile women uh, who are financially independent. They've got their own money. Most of them were millionaires or multimillionaires. They didn't need a man to provide anything. And these women still demanded from a guy that he had the ability to provide food, protection, shelter. In other words, they wanted a guy who could give resources even though they didn't want resources. They didn't need but they still want. They didn't want. No, no woman wants to marry a loser. She won't. She doesn't want to be going to work herself while he's laying on the beach getting a sundown. She'll do that for a short time if, if it's if he's a toy boy and she has some other emotional need. But other than that, women want guys who can provide the basics. So what you need to do as a man is ask yourself the question: What am I doing to project my ability to provide resources, food, shelter, and protection? Okay. Well, if you're 18 years of age, you probably don't have any of that. But if, if you're Doing a course to make yourself a better manager. You're going to university to learn a trade. Uh, if you're doing something that shows that you will have food resources and protection in the future, then you become attractive to women. Can you talk a little bit about, you said this earlier in this talk, you mentioned the phrase trial closing. Can you explain what that means? Well, trial close, if you look in selling, it's, it's really straightforward that uh, you're going to ask a person, you hope that you're going to get them to the point where they're going to say yes or, or no, and a no is better than nothing because if you get a no, then you can answer objections. Uh, no, I can't proceed today because I want to think about it, talk to my wife, check with my accountant, uh, see what the competition's got, uh, think about it. Think about it means you didn't sell properly. If you sold properly, they wouldn't have to think about it. So a trial class is where you, you, you've got a thermometer and you just slip the thermometer in their mouth to test their temperature to see whether they're ready to be asked a final closing question. And uh, the thing about a trial close question, it has to be subtle in such a way that she could have think, is he really asking me that question or uh, is he not asking me that question? She's not quite sure. So uh, now, now you teach this stuff. What, what sort of trial closing questions would you ask? There's lots of different verbal ones that we could use, but probably some of the more important ones are the nonverbals and behavioral. And so as an example, uh, how is she responding to your touch, right? So you're, the, if you touch her hand and she won't allow you to, to hold her hand, then she's not going to kiss you, right? If you try to get her to move with you three steps away from her friends and she won't move with you three steps away from her friends, she's not going to move around the bar, let alone to another location, let alone to uh, back to your place or her place with you alone, right? And so actually what I was thinking, I mean, there's some verbal ones I can think of, but the more important ones are who's in the group, like how, did, how comfortable does she feel when new people enter the group versus when she's alone because it changes the power dynamic? Uh, how does she respond to where you're at, right? And when you attempt, when you move her, move locations, how that's essentially each of these is a, a trial close or a step into, you have a specific outcome. Like for example, you want to be intimate or you have a sexual relationship with somebody. So how are they respond to each of these steps? Touch the different forms of touch and how they're associated with, with relationships. For example, strangers we generally don't touch, acquaintances will touch from the top of the shoulder down to the fingertips, usually in Western culture, that a great example of that is shaking hands. Friends, we give them a high five, we put our arm around them, we give them a hug. And so even if you look at all the way through intimacy, if you touch a woman the way that her last boyfriend touched her, then she's going to start to feel the same emotions associated with that physical contact. And you might not know exactly the way that her last boyfriend touched her, but there's really only so many ways to touch a woman. And so if you've been around women, you've had a couple girlfriends, what happens is you figure out how to touch a woman, you learn these through like little trial and error, and then you just do them with the next girl and she's receptive. So it's actually, these were actually the things that I was thinking about as I was asking the question, because I've never asked them on a podcast, but you started to talk about it. And I was like, oh, these are 
I mean, there's a gold mine here of really valuable information to the listeners. Well, you're right. Look, you know, touch is one of the most interesting things that you can observe and initiate. It's an easy thing to do. It's, it's, it's not really a subtle thing. It is subtle, but for men, you can do it on purpose. Interesting, men touch other men between the point of the elbow and the shoulder. So if you and I were talking uh, socially, and I could touch you on the on the shoulder, on the upper arm, and say, yeah, good job, Chris, well done. And in Western culture and most European, uh, you would, you'd find that was okay. Uh, you've got to be careful touching a man between the point of the elbow and the hand because that's the intimate, that's where his mother touched him when he was a kid. That's where his lovers touch him, where his girlfriends touch him. Now, the important thing about that, if you're talking with a woman and she goes to make a point and she touches you on the lower part of the arm or the hand, that is a trial close probably coming from her. Now, remember, we don't want to take one thing and say it's conclusive. That's the first sign, oh, I could be getting a cluster of things here. You need at least three bits of information before you make enough information to ask for a close, you know, ask for the order, so it was. So, if she's, so where should you touch a woman? Now, it's delicate because uh, today there are sexual harassment laws. If you touch somebody, you can finish up in court over this. It's, it's, and a lot of guys everywhere in the world now, Chris, have stopped touching altogether, which For sure. is bad because, you know, women, women have uh, eight times the amount of touch receptors on the skin of their body for receiving and decoding touch. The purpose of that is for holding babies. Men don't need it because our history of running through rocks and through forests and through thorns and prickles, you can't be stopped by every every uh, hit that you get by a thorn bush. So we're generally desensitised. So a friend of mine was out sailing last week having a great race and he broke his arm. He didn't even know he'd broken his arm. The adrenaline was so high in it. Uh, so women are, are very receptive to touch. So there is one place you can touch a woman or a man, but women, which is a safe zone. It's the point of the elbow, this little round knobbly bit on the end there. That's what we call a public space. It's far enough away from any intimate body part that you can touch it. Now, the secret is to touch it for three seconds or less. It's not a grab. It's just, just a light brush. So when you're talking with a woman, as you're talking, if you want to make a point, just lean forward and just, just stroke the point of the elbow, just three seconds or less. Any more than three seconds, she'll, she'll know you did it. Yeah. With that, she's not likely to know you did it. She'll just get a feeling, oh, I sort of feel a bit cuddly. <laughs> we do the same. We say to men in business, touch other men and women on the point of the elbow because touch is important. It definitely gets a positive result. But if you go for the wrong place, like the lower part of the arm or the hand, uh, you can get a, a, a sexual harassment suit put on you in business. And so what, if she's touching you on the lower part of the arm, that's a intimate signal. If she's not touching you, then she's touching you on the upper part of the arm or the elbow or never at all. That means you're not scoring a lot of points at that point. As you're talking about this, like I'm playing through these scenarios in my head. As men, if you try this, what you look for is kind of reciprocation. So does she touch you back and also changes in her physiology as her shoulders sensing up? Is there a change in her face? Does her breathing shift? So these intricate, uh, not only is she pulling, whether she's pulling away, but even if she's staying in your space, what are the changes that you see in her, her physiology, her body language? And are these positive or negative? And probably the biggest shortcut I would uh, would say is think about the last time you did that and how did you feel, right? So if you, when you pulled away, how are you feeling when your shoulders tensed up? How are you feeling when your breathing shortened? Do you want to add on something out? You're the expert, but. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking, you know, these things that we're talking about here are so interesting and they're also damn good fun when you know what to look for. They're, yeah. they're great. <laughs> they're not a natural part of the male disposition. We're not wired to instinctively do this. Whereas, Female brains are wired to do this. And you know the reason why women are so good at this? It's interesting. Having babies. Because for the first two years of human existence, babies don't talk. We give birth to 
useless babies. They lay there and they crap and vomit for the first two years. They can't talk or anything. They just, they're, they're totally dependent on it. Whereas a baby chimpanzee can be abandoned in the forest uh, after six weeks of age and it's got a good chance of survival. For human beings, it's seven years before we have the same survival ability if abandoned in the jungle. So parents, particularly males, are compelled to be around for at least that seven-year period to bring that child to self-sufficiency so it can be independent. Now, uh, it makes sense then that female brains would be hardwired. And when I wrote Body Language back in the 70s, we, we kind of knew this, but we, you couldn't prove it because there wasn't MRI scanners or other technology to be able to physically, scientifically prove it. But female brains, we, now, we can see it now, are wired to look at a human being or a baby or an animal and decode its emotional condition to know whether that baby's hungry, frightened, tired, injured, in pain. If you're approaching as a new male, will this guy be friendly or aggressive? Uh, if an animal is approaching, I mean, a woman can look at a, a dog and tell you that dog is happy or angry. And you say, well, how do you do that? She doesn't know. She can just tell, whereas most males, we can't do it. And so these are not natural dispositions for us as men to do. And that's why it is so important for a guy uh, to add into your life to, to do some sort of course or read a book or go and, and learn these skills, you only have to do it once, then practice it over and over, and you can become uh, you can become a great lover. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is like going off on a completely different tangent, and this is like commentary. You know Casanova? Yeah. I studied Casanova. Now, he was a real guy, uh, supposedly one of the greatest Italian lovers of all times. Uh -huh. uh, he had no rapport with women. He played the numbers game, Chris. He just mm. kept asking for the order. Yeah. I've had friends like this. I literally, uh, I had a, a friend of mine who had a re really great sex life and he would literally go out and if we were out, he would approach a hundred girls and every single one of them, he'd basically ask for the order. He's really kind of a direct guy and, and he's not the only guy I've met like that. Late, uh, years later, I remember I was talking to a, a coworker. This is kind of a goofy looking guy with a very attractive wife. And uh, I asked, we were, we were talking one day and he found out that I had begun doing the things that I'm now doing. And he goes, you know, I have a buddy. And he was talking about himself. It became really obvious through, uh, through the co course of the conversation. He goes, I had this buddy who I would walk out and I'm going to be really crude here. He just goes, I would just tell women that his, he goes, I had this buddy who would just tell women he was going to fuck them. And, and he goes, and then they would react one of two ways in most circumstances. Either they would be completely creeped out and walk away and, and be like, this guy, like this guy's a weirdo. And a certain percentage of times he's like, they would say, what makes you think you can? And he goes, in that situation, every time, he's like, I knew it was on. <laughs> but, he, but it was, it, and I'm not advocating doing that. I'm advocating doing, what, reading your book, trying the strategies uh, that you're talking about and increasing those percentages because really you don't need to approach 100 girls to find intimacy or find love. Or Billy, if you don't have any reports and skills, you're compelled to play the numbers game or be lonely. Yeah, for sure. And, and the number game could be, one, it could be brutal. <laughs> it could be absolutely brutal. I mean, there's a lot of kind of things that make it difficult, but we're talking about developing emotional intelligence, beginning to recognize these signals, these these things that are basic parts of our human biology are so important because that's how you get real success. One of my, my engineers, I run a rock and roll recording studio here in Australia. Thanks. And my engineers this morning, and he's been dating this woman for a while. She's now putting the closing questions on the guy. <laughs> and, and he's saying, oh, what do you think I should do? You know, I've never been married. I said, well, you've got one or two choices, James. You can either stay single and be miserable or get married and wish you were dead. <laughs> well, you know, going back to trial closes, right? She starts talking about having kids, like where she would want to get married, where you would want to get married, things about your family. She's asking trial questions to see. But yeah, that's great. He's a refugee from women. He said to me, he said, 
He said, oh, he said, if I come back in another life, I'm coming back as a gay guy, I'm, I'm going to find one my size and double my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I would love to talk to you forever. I know I'm getting a little over on time. Any other kind of last minute suggestions, tips, recommendations for people who want to pick up this skill and be good at it? Well, whether it's women or, or men, anybody, if you talk about their number one subject, which is themselves. And the basic rule with women has always been if she's a beautiful-looking woman, she knows that. So you talk about how smart she is. If she doesn't look so great, you talk about how pretty she is. Again, feminists will crucify me, as I do in every country, for these comments, but that's, that's what actually... You're 100% right. Yeah, it works. And, and uh, these skills that we're talking about are not a natural disposition for most men. You know, most men are not born with the ability to look for these things would be able to be receptive to them. But the great news about it is you can learn to do them. You can learn to pick up a repertoire that will make you more interesting, more attractive, and uh, women will have much more fun with you. And also, you'll have a great time too by being able to read situations that most of your life you probably missed. And one thing I'll add is you'll have more success in every aspect of your life because your percentages will get better, whether it's trying to get a date or trying to have more intimacy or raise money for your startup or um, I mean just about anything you can think of where you're trying to persuade other people or trying to get a desired outcome um, and involves other human beings which is life's a social sport you'll do better yes, and the bottom line is that it, it takes it takes a bit of courage and a bit of guts to use any of these things you've, you've actually got to go out there and say these things and and, and ideally uh, we've given given the list of something to give them a reasonable degree of security and safety in saying it because uh, you know, none of us want to get a knockback. We don't want to get a no in front of other women or in front of our mates. We don't want to get that. You know, so as a result, a lot of guys don't make any moves, and so they spend a lot of the time on their own, which is sad because as humans, we're, we're not supposed to be on our own. Alan, this has been absolutely incredible. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And if you're listening, you want to learn more about Alan, you want to read his books. I read them when I was learning this stuff. Um, they're absolutely awesome. And I wish I could say they were mandatory to read, <laughs> but you should absolutely read them. I want to post some links on the Craft for Charisma website and within the description of this podcast so you can find out about him more easily. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. You didn't, cr- you didn't scratch your nose and I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, <Those> Alan. <laughs> it's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.